Hey, Bobby, you can raise your hand if you bring one with you. Really, Emily? <laughs> oh. Emily has been part of this church for I don't know how many years. She's like, I don't have a Bible. I didn't bring one, man. But if you need, need a Bible, raise your hands. Our ushers can grab one for you. But we are in John chapter 8. We are working through the book of John chapter by chapter. And uh, we are in chapter 8, verses 31 through 38 today. And within these verses, there's eight verses, actually only two of them are very familiar and, and quoted all the time. People know these verses. And I'm just going to kind of read part of them and see if you can shout out the end of it. Here's one verse that says, and you will know the truth and... See, everybody knows that. You know, you're going to know the truth and it will set you free. How about this one? Here's the second verse that everybody knows. Um, Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Everybody knows those two verses. But the other six, are you like, I didn't know there were six other verses in those. Well, there are. There's eight verses there. And Jesus is, he's going to impact some really great truth here. Some truth that is very vital for us to know as a believer in Christ and how to wade through the world that we live in. And let us recall where we are in this. Remember, John chapter 8, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's been teaching in the temple. And he's had this large crowd of people listening to him. And Jesus, he just keeps hammering one message. And he's been hammering the same message, just not in this period of time, but throughout his ministry. And it's this, I'm the Messiah of the world. I'm the Savior. And you've got to believe in me if you want to go to heaven. And he just keeps putting that message out. He doesn't really tweak it that much. He doesn't change it that much. He just pretty much says, you've got to believe in me. If you don't believe in me, you don't get to go to the Father's kingdom. Well, here's the thing. He's been talking that and saying that here in chapter 8. And he even got to a point where he was like, I'm telling you the truth. If you don't believe in me, you will die in your sin and you will not be able to go to heaven. Well, here's the thing. This crowd of people was kind of split in half. One part of the crowd was um, just average people, but also the religious leaders at that time. And they got offended by what Jesus said. A lot of times they got offended. And they were like, dude, really? You're the Messiah? We don't think so. And they always debated him, and they always rejected him, and they refused to listen and to believe what he was saying. But at this particular time, like many other times, there were some people that heard what Jesus said, and the bell went off. And they're like, I believe what he's saying. Because if you look at verse 30 in chapter 8, it even says it. It says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. And that's where we are. Right there at that end of that point where people believed in what Jesus was saying was to be true. Well, as we get to verse 31 and in the section we are, Jesus now addresses those new believers, okay? And I put believers in quotes because Jesus is going to give these people a benchmark. He's going to give them um, what it means to be a believer in him. And, and so he's going to give them the benchmark, but then he's also going to give them some benefits of the benchmark. And so that's the title of my message today, The Benchmark and the Benefit. And so let me just read these verses real quick so you get an idea of what we'll be looking at today. So starting in chapter 8, verse 31, it says this. And so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, from verse 30, 
If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with the Father. You do what you have heard from your Father. So Jesus gives a benchmark, and from that also he gives some benefits. So let's first look at the benchmark. Let's look at the benchmark that Jesus is going to say to these new believers. And the benchmark is this. To continue and remain steadfast in loving obedience to God's word. This is the benchmark to these new found believers these people who said, hey, I believe in Jesus. And he sets the benchmark, and it's to continue and to remain steadfast in loving obedience to God's word. And that's what he says. You know, he, he looks at these new believers, and he says in verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You see, Jesus has been down this road a few different times. He's from chapter 2, you start to see where people believed in him. And then it continues throughout his ministry, people believing in him, people believing in him. Jesus does things. Oh, people believe in him. People say, Jesus says something. People believe in him. So people are verbally saying to Jesus, dude, I believe in you. Man, I've never seen anybody else feed that many people with a few loaves of fish before. So I believe in you. Jesus is doing miracles. People are believing in him. Now he said some truth and people have believed in him. So Jesus is like, you know what? I've, I've heard people say, I believe in you, but yet they walk away. So I'm going to set a benchmark for you guys. You're, you're a new batch of people, so I'm going to set a benchmark. And here's my benchmark. If you are truly my disciple, that word truly means real, genuine, authentic. If you are truly my disciple, meaning my follower, if you are real about this, if you are authentic about it, abide in my word. You see, we live in a time today where for some reason we think that being a Christian, being a believer in Jesus is a mystery. Like, you really can't tell who is a believer and who isn't. We, we say this kind of stuff. We, you know, we, 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 well, you can't judge somebody if they're a believer because you don't know the heart. You can't see the heart, so you can't really tell if someone is a believer or not. Is that true? Is, is it really true that you cannot determine who is and who is not a real Christian? Or is it simply just, well, as long as you just have a belief, you are okay. As long as you just profess and say, I am a Christian, that makes you a believer, a true believer. Is that true? How do you know if your spouse is a true, genuine, authentic believer in Jesus Christ? How can you tell if your child is a true, genuine, authentic believer in Jesus Christ? How can you tell if a coworker is, your neighbor, your best friend? Because 70% of Americans profess to what religion? Christianity. 70%. Seven out of 10 people. 
say, I am a Christian. So how do we know? Are we a Christian just because we say we are? Are we a Christian just because we say, I, I believe in Jesus? Is that the benchmark? Or is it truly a mystery? Well, Jesus tells us the truth. It is not a mystery. It's not an enigma. It, there's no question about it. Jesus says, hey, do you want to know who truly is a genuine, real, authentic believer, a follower of me? And it's this. Abide in my word. That word abide, it actually um, literally means to remain or to stay in, in the same place over a period of time. If you're abiding, some of you may have a version that says to hold on to the teaching or to continue in it. So what Jesus is saying, he says, if you are truly my disciple, if you are a genuine, real, authentic believer, follower of me, here's how you'll know it. You will remain steadfast. You will persevere. You will continue in. You will do what my word says. That's how you know. That, that's how you truly know if someone is a genuine, real, authentic believer in Jesus Christ. It's not just because they say, I believe in Jesus. Jesus saw this so many times. I believe in you. But they walk away. There are a lot of people who have, if, if there was a stamp on the forehead, it would say, I'm a Christian. Why? Well, because I'm not an atheist. I'm not Muslim. I'm not a Hindu. I'm not Buddhist. So that makes me a Christian. But Jesus gives us the benchmark. He says, if you truly are my disciple, my follower, if you truly believe in me, you will abide in my word. Meaning you'll do what it says. You will persevere in it. You will follow it. In the book of 2 John, verse 9 John, it's like you've got the book of John, you've got 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. The apostle John doesn't leave this alone. Okay, it, it's not this like this is not like a blip on the radar here. In 2 John 9, John writes this. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 5, Jesus writes, or John says this, by this we know that we are in him. Meaning this, this is how you know who truly is a follower of Christ, who truly is a believer in him. This we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You see, John makes this very clear. He's like, he's like, here's how you know someone truly is a believer in Jesus Christ. It's not just because they say it. It's not because they just say they're a Christian. It's because they are persevering. They are continuing. They are walking out what the Bible says, what God's word says. We're doing it. We're, we are lovingly obeying it. And the reason why I say lovingly is because in John and we'll get there later on. But in John chapter 14 and 15, Jesus repeats this. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. 
So as a believer in Christ, if I truly am a believer in Jesus, I've put my faith in him, and I say, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, then here's what I do. I lovingly, because I love him, he loves me, I lovingly remain and continue and remain steadfast in doing his word. That is how you know if someone truly is a believer in Jesus Christ. It's not a mystery. So all you've got to do is just look at someone and just ask them, are they looking like Jesus more and more every day? Do they act like Christ? Do they walk like Christ? Do they live by his word? But yet, I'm telling you, some of the things I hear people say to me, and I've had people say, and, and now here, and this is the balance, okay? What Jesus is saying here. That, that you abide in his word. This is not to become a believer. This is not to become, you, don't, you can't do anything to, to become a believer in Jesus Christ. It's only one thing, I trust in Jesus. But after you say, I've trusted in Jesus, the abiding now takes over. I, I walk according to his word. I live according to the word of God. I lovingly obey the word of God. But here's what people will say. They'll say, listen, you don't have to go to church. You don't have to serve. You really don't have to do anything to be a Christian. And I sit there and I scratch my head and I'm like, where do you get that from? Where do we get that information from? Because when I see the words of Jesus, Jesus makes it very clear. If you truly are my disciple. If you truly, authentically, very real, are my follower, you will abide in my word. You'll do what it says. Now, here's the thing, and I say this a lot. Are you going to do it perfectly? Nope. Nobody does. Man, we're all going to sin. We're all going to stumble. We're all going to fall. But here's the difference. When I truly, when I, when I want to persevere and steadfastly and lovingly want to obey the word of God when I do sin, when I do fall, when I do mess up. Here's what my reaction is. Man, I don't want to be there. And I am quick to get to the Father to confess it. Father, forgive me. I blew it again. Forgive me of my sin. You see, what happens is as I am a as a, a true, authentic, real believer, follower of Jesus Christ, my desires want to become more like him. My desires want to be like, I don't want the things of the world. I don't want to live in sin. I want to walk away from that. And when I do stumble, when I do fall back, when I do sin, there's something in me that's going, man, I don't want to be there. I hate that life part of my life, and I'm striving to come out of that. That's the difference. Someone who is not a real, authentic believer in Jesus Christ, someone who is just a believer in word, just in, 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 in like a logo, they don't care about the sin. They don't care about lovingly obeying Christ and his word. You see, Jesus gives us the benchmark. And the benchmark of a true believer is not just a profession, but it is continually, continually and remaining steadfast in loving obedience to God's word. That's the benchmark. And if you're a believer today, I hope that's your benchmark, that God's word becomes 
That's what I want to do. Now, let's look at some, let's look at the benefit. We have the benchmark. Now here's the benefit. The benefit is this. What I come to know from abiding in God's word. The benefit that I, I receive from, from, from abiding in God's word is what comes to me from abiding in God's word. And now Jesus gives us four things that, that you'll come to know when you abide in the word of God. When, when, you, when you start to read it, when you start to see it, when you start to live it. Here's what's going to come to you. Four different things. And here's the first thing. The first thing you're going to know when you abide in God's word is this. I will know absolute truth. So again, Jesus says, if you abide in my word and are truly my disciples, he says, and you will know the truth. He says, if you're, if you're abiding in my word, you're living according to my word, you're, you're, you're hearing it, you're seeing it, you're doing it, you're living it out, and it's permeating your life, he's like, you will know truth. Do you know um, FBI agents, um, when it comes to counterfeit, they do not teach them how to identify counterfeit bills. Do you know what they teach them? How do I identify real bills? And then when they see a, a false bill, they know that's, that, that's false. That's not, that's not even close to it because they know the real deal. They know what a real bill looks like. So they know what real money looks like. They know what the false money looks like. So guess what? You and I, every day as a believer in Christ, you are navigating through life. And I've said this, Jesus has said this numerous times over the past several weeks. And I've said it, and I'm just repeating myself again. We are navigating through this world. And the reality is, our world today says this, truth is subjective. Your truth may not be my truth, and my truth may not be your truth. What I say is truth may not be what you say truth is. And that's the world in which we live in, gang. That's the culture. That's our society, okay? So as, a, as if I am truly a believer in Christ, a genuine follower of Christ, then I need to determine what is right, what is wrong, what is wrong and what is right. Because the culture says today, what is wrong is right. And what is right is wrong. And so how do you know? Well, here's how we know. Through the word of God. How many of you have ever flown in a plane um, through the fog? Anybody? I've done that once. I mean, pea soup fog. And, and I remember I'm looking out my window. And, and I know the pilot had told us, hey, we're get, coming in for a landing. And I'm looking out the window. And it is just, I can't, you can't see the wing. That's how thick this was. And I'm like, I wonder how much longer we got. And I'm like, you know, just sitting there, sitting there all of a sudden. Boink, 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 boink. We hit the ground. I'm like, where did that come from? Because you, you couldn't see the lights of the city, nothing. And that plane finally hits the ground. After cleaning myself up, I'm like, oh, get me off the plane. But how did that pilot know to land the plane? Because if you ever drive your car in fog, deep fog, does you ever feel like you're always turning? Like your car's moving somewhere and it's not? When you're flying a plane... The only thing, especially in fog or, or clouds or whatever, the pilots have got to depend on one thing, not themselves. They can't go by what they think. They can't go by what they believe. They can't go by anything of themselves. They have 
control they have a control panel in front of them. They've got an altimeter that tells them how high they are. They've got, a, they've got an indicator that tells them their airspeed. They've got an indicator that says, hey, you're going north, east, west. They've got all these indicators that tell them this is the way you're going. This is how high you are. This is how fast you're going. And that pilot, if he looks at his indicators and goes, I think those are wrong. I'm going to go by myself. I don't want to be on that plane at that time. Because more than likely, he's going to get off course or he will crash that plane. That pilot has got to go by the indicators, even when everything in him is saying, that doesn't seem right. He's got to trust those indicators. And as long as he trusts those indicators, he can fly that plane properly with no problems. So you and I are navigating through the fog of reality. We've, we are navigating through the fog of, of the culture, through the cultural's beliefs, through the cultural's teachings, through the cultural's norms, all right? We are navigating through all this. We navigate through what the news says, what, what, what famous people say. We navigate through, you know, what social media is saying, what people are putting out there. We are navigating through all of this, and we need an indicator that tells us, hey, here's what true north really is. And as long as we are listening to social media, as long as we're listening to the news, as long as we're listening to, you know, um, what, 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 whoever the famous couple is nowadays, as long as we're listening to them, you're off course. And God's word is true north. It is the right indicator. And here's the thing. Everything around you is going to be saying, no, it's not. Everything around us will be screaming, you're headed the wrong direction. And everything in us is going to fight and go, that's the way I want to go. But God says, no, this is the way. Walk in it. The Bible, God's word, his truth is our indicator. And Jesus says, if you will abide in this thing, you will know the truth. Here's the second thing you're going to know. You're going to know truth, but number two is this. I will know I am free. And so Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, it seems like kind of a blanket statement. So we got to keep working through here because if we just go, it will set you free. We're going to kind of get lost of what he's really talking about. And so look at verse 33. It says, they answered them. Now, the they is shifting the crowd. He, this is not the believer's who he was just addressing, talking to them. This is now back to the crowd. This is now the religious leaders. They heard what he just said, and in their minds, that makes no sense. They're lost in the fog. And now they start to challenge Jesus once again. And so it says, they answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, they make two statements. The first is a true statement. They say, we are the ancestors of Abraham. And they're, re they're referring back to the book of Genesis, chapter 12, when God calls a man by the name of Abraham, and he tells Abraham, he says, hey, I want you to leave your, your home country, leave your family, leave everything, and go to a country that I'm going to show you, and that's going to become your country, and you're going to become a great nation. And in time, that great nation became the nation of Israel. They were correct, very correct. But the second statement they make is ludicrous because they're like, we are ancestors of Abraham and we have never been enslaved by no one. 
Now, if you look at verse 34, Jesus like, like just kind of like skims right past because he says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a, is a slave to sin. It's almost like they said, we're not a slave to anyone. And Jesus is just like, really? I, I, I'm, I'm dumbfounded here. I'm not even going to address that because I'm just going to move on. Because Jesus, I, I sit and thought about that as I studied. It's like, I would have been like, really? You think you haven't been enslaved? Well, how? Because they just finished celebrating um, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, which reminds the Jews. It's a celebration to remind the Jews of what their ancestors went through during the time of Moses. And they remember of the time when their people were, were set free from being slaves in Egypt and they're in the wilderness in tents. And they celebrate that. And they forgot about the fact that they celebrate the Passover every year, which was the time where God released the, the, their ancestors out of slavery from Egypt, and, and they celebrated the Passover. And, and, and Jesus, he's just like, he could have just been like, are you kidding me? Really? You guys forgot that? We were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. And you're saying we've never been enslaved before? And then he could have went, oh, by the way, have you forgotten we were enslaved by the Assyrians? We were enslaved by the Babylonians. We were enslaved by the Persians. And, oh, by the way, we are still oppressed by the Roman army. Really? He's like, you guys are just dumbfounding how they could say we have never been enslaved before. And they were. But Jesus is trying to explain to these people something. Because if you look at now verse 34 again. He says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus is talking about being set free in the essence of spiritual freedom. Free from sin. Can I tell you, he is not talking about political freedom. Again, the last verse, you will know the truth. Ladies and gentlemen, we're living in a time that Christians are confused big time. Because we sit and say, it is my God-given right to be free politically. If you read Jesus and his words, that is not what he's talking about. Even in the book of Luke, I'll just read this to you. But in the book of Luke... Jesus is in the synagogue and he says this. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set, and it's set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now, when you read those words, you're like, there it is. That's, that's religious. That, that's, that's political freedom. That is not where Jesus was going there. He's like, I have come to set people who are spiritually poor free. I have come to set people who are bound up by and are slaves and in chains by sin. I've come to set free who are oppressed by sin. I've come to seek and save sinners. I've come to die for sin. He's like, because listen, if Jesus was here to start a revolution, as we claim today, um, John the Baptist would not have been in prison. He wouldn't have died in prison because Jesus would have rallied the troops and said, I've come to set the captives free. 
So we got to go get John out of prison. If, if it was God's will for us to all be political free, um, Paul would have not have spent a day in prison. God would have got him out. When Jesus is talking about being free, it is all spiritual freedom. We got to understand that. Okay? I know as Americans we say, but we have the Constitution and that is our God-given right to be free. Listen, the Constitution does not trump the Bible. We got we to just get that anchor to your soul. God's word has to be the anchor. God's word has got to be the foundation. And Jesus was not about political freedom, but spiritual freedom. Because I'm telling you, there's a lot of Americans who are politically free, but are still going to die in their sin. It doesn't matter if I'm politically free, but I'm still bound by sin. And Jesus says, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. That's where he's going with this. And that's why these, these, these political leaders or uh, uh, the religious leaders in Jesus' time were, were offended by this because they're like, we're, we're, all, we're free. We know that we're free. And Jesus is like, no, you don't. You're still living in sin. And you're lost. And you're in chains. And you are enslaved. You could be free physically, but in chains spiritually. And that's what Jesus has come to set us free from. He says, I'm telling you, you will be free when you know me. When you come to put your faith in me, you are truly free. And that's the freedom he's getting at after here. He's like, he, he's, he, he's setting the stage. The, 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 he's setting this thing up and he's like, I'm telling you. He says, those who, the ESV says commit sin. The, I, the, the real uh, meaning of that is to practice. He's talking about people who do not know him as a believer. He's talking, to pe he's talking to people back then, and it also talks to us today that anyone who has not come to know Christ as Savior, he's talking about the fact that you are still living in your sin. You're still a sinner. And if you're living in your sin, if that's your practice, you're enslaved to that. Jesus actually, the words that he's saying really paints the picture of what Ephesians chapter 2 says. In Ephesians chapter 2, and I've read this verse so many times. It says this, it says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Meaning, how you lived. You're, you lived in your sin. You lived in those trespasses. He says, you were following the course of the world. Following the prince of the power of the air. Meaning, this is what Satan wanted and this is how we lived. He says, and, and the spirit at work is that the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. What, the, what Paul is saying in Ephesians 2 is exactly the same thing Jesus is saying. He's like, here's how we all are once, we're once one time. He's like, man, we all lived according to our sin. We all lived according to our own passions, to our own desires. That's how we wanted to live. We followed the course of the world. That was my pattern. And Jesus is saying, if that's your pattern... If that's your practice, living in sin, you are not a believer in me, and you are still enslaved in your sin. And Jesus says, I don't want to see anybody enslaved. He's like, I want to see people set free. And he goes, whom the Son sets free will be free. 
And the way you and I are free from our sin is not by, well, I go to church. I'm set free from my sin, not because I, I, I give to charity. I'm not set free from my sin because I do good works. No, the Bible tells us we are not set free from our sin. We are not forgiven because of good works. The only thing that we are set free from our sin from is, Jesus, I trust in you. You are my Savior. That's why Jesus came, to set sinners free. Nothing else. And today, if you've never confessed Christ as your Savior, you are still enslaved to your sin. You're still living in that sin. You are still, as the Bible says, a sinner separated from God. And that's why Jesus came to give us life, to give us freedom. And today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, it's as simple as saying, Jesus, forgive me and be my Savior. So, you will know truth. You will know you are free. And then here's the third thing. I will know my identity and my inheritance. I will know my identity and my inheritance. Look at verse 35. It says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Now, Jesus is, he, he's speaking metaphorically here, but he's speaking and comparing the slave to a sinner and, and the son to a forgiven sinner. So the slave is a person who is still enslaved in sin, is a person who is still living a life of sin, is a person who has never received Christ as, as Savior. They are still an unbeliever. They have never come to that place where they're like, Jesus, I need you as my Savior. They are still a slave, a slave to sin. And, and, and Jesus says, this slave does not remain in the house. Now, we've seen this multiple times where Jesus has told these people, and I've preached this numbers of times, where Jesus sets a very clear reality. Not everybody goes to heaven because there are people who reject Christ, who don't want to believe in him. There are people who, who believe in the fact that, hey, as long as I'm good enough, I will get to heaven. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you are a slave to sin, if you are that slave just like a real slave is not like part of the family, Jesus is saying if you're enslaved in your sin, you're not part of God's family. He says, but the son remains in the home. And this is what's so important to understand. Jesus is Jesus making a, dis a distinction between those who are not part of the family and those who are. Here's the biggest misconception that everybody says. Everybody is a child of God. Doesn't matter who you are, what you believe, everybody is a child of God. How many of you heard that before? Wrong. Everybody is a creation of God. We all are created by God, but not everybody is a child of God. It would be like you living in your neighborhood, and let's say you have three kids that live in your house. Little Johnny comes over, from down the street, and you know Johnny, you're equated with little Johnny, and Johnny comes up and says, hey, I would like to um, move into your house. How many of you be like, Johnny, you're not part of my family. You don't get to just come and raid my cupboards. You, 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 I, you, this is not your home. But let's say Johnny, though, um, is, is, is an orphan, 
and you adopt him. Then Johnny comes up and says, can I come and live in your house? Of course you can, because I've adopted you as my child. Come on in. Same way. Jesus is telling us there are people who will continue in their sin. And just as we saw last week in the verses right before this, that they will continue in their sin their entire life and they will die in that sin. And those people, because they were enslaved in their sin, never came to repentance, never came to trust in Jesus through by faith, they will die in that sin. And because they were a slave to sin, will not be granted to be in heaven. But the sons and the daughters will. And a son or a daughter is simply this. You've come to trust Jesus as your Savior. You see, before you know Christ as your Savior, you are outside the family. But when you come to know Christ as Savior, you come to realize, I'm a sinner. That's me. I'm enslaved in that stuff. I, I practice. I, I, this is how I live. I, I don't believe in Jesus. I've never trusted him. Yeah, sure, I may go to church now and then. I may have religion or whatever. I may be a good person. But I know I've never trusted Jesus and asked him to forgive me. So when you come to that place where you acknowledge the fact you are a sinner and you come to believe in Jesus and you confess him as your Savior and your Lord. And you say, Jesus, come into my life. Save me. Cleanse me and wash me of all my sin. That moment, you go from outside the family into the family. You go from little Johnny, who is not just run, running around the neighborhood, to being adopted and put in God's family. So today, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you are a son or a daughter of the King. You are part of the family. You have that, that your identity is not who you used to be. Your identity is not what the world says about you. Your identity is not what your family says about you. Your identity is who Christ says about you. And he says, if you know me, you belong to me. If you have asked me into your life, you are my child. And you are welcome into the inheritance that is going to be yours, which is an eternal life in my father's kingdom. That's yours. It doesn't matter what everybody else says. If you know Christ... You're a child, and you have an inheritance waiting for you. But today, again, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're outside the family, and you're not a child yet. And you won't be able to get into the home if you don't know Jesus. And then lastly, the last thing we know is this. I know my Heavenly Father. And so in verse 37, Jesus says, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no, room, no place in you. You see, he's just basically just being very direct and honest with these people. He's like, yeah, I know you're, you're, you're an offspring of Abraham. I know you're descendants of that. But here's the thing. You're not acting like Abraham. You're not acting like the lineage of, of who Abraham was because you want to kill me. My, what I'm saying has no place in you. You're acting like truly an unbeliever. And he's like, that's a problem. And then in verse 38, he says, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And we're going to get that into that more next week. But he's talking about the fact that when we refuse to follow the word of God and it finds no place in us, what we're really listening to is the words of, of, of the devil. 
and, and letting that lead us. You see, here's the thing. When I know Christ is my Savior, when I'm a child of God, when I'm abiding in the Word of God, and I'm, 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 I'm getting it in me, and I'm reading it, I'm seeing it, I'm hearing it, I'm doing it, I'm living it, and I'm abiding in this thing, and it's starting to change me, and I'm starting to see truth in me, because all of a sudden, when I know the truth of what God's Word says, I'm going to know what sin is, all right? You're going to know this is not right. I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be acting like that. I shouldn't be talking like that. I should treat, be, be treating people better. That's going to be a, an evident truth in your life. But here's the other evident truth. When you start to know what the Bible says and you start to see what God says, you're going to know what God is like. Because here's the thing. The world, the culture, um, a lot of people view their, their view of God because of the horizontal. Don't raise your hand, but let me ask you. Do you ever view, is your view of God ever based on your view of your father? If you had a bad father, you grew up with an abusive father. Do you know how you look at God? Angry. All the time. If you mess up, oh, God's mad at me. God's angry at me. God doesn't love me today. I got to earn my love. I got to earn that love back. I got to earn my way back to God. I got to. I got to try to figure out how I can please God. Do you ever live your your relationship with God like that because of your father? A lot of times, people are confused about who God is because of what the world and the culture say God is like. Well, how about if we just go to what God? God says what He is like in His Word, and this is why it's so important to know what the Word says because I'm telling you, it transforms your faith. Listen to these verses if you just want to jot them down. Very powerful truths within God's word about who God is, about who your father in heaven is. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22 says, God's compassion or his mercy never fails. It is new every morning. I don't know about you, but there are some days I am so glad I can wake up in the morning and God's mercy is brand new. It's like, it's not running out. It's not like God's like, ha, oh, my, my mercy, man. Sorry, dude. It's like an eighth of a tank on you. you. You got like one more thing and you're done. No, no. It is new every single day. Psalm 103 verse 8 says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. You see, if you grew up with that abusive father, always angry, always yelling, God is slow to anger. I love that because I'm very, sometimes I'm just quick to sin. Anybody else quick to sin? Yeah. I'm glad that God is not quick to anger. John, 1 John 1, 9 tells us that if we do sin, all we got to do is confess our sin. And God is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. Faithful and just to do that. Psalm 103 verse 12 says that God removes our sin as far as east is from the west. Psalm 103 also tells us that God does not treat you as your sins deserve. I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful for that because um, here's the thing. Um, your sin deserves only one penalty and that is eternal separation. But God's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to treat you as your sins deserve. Romans chapter 8, 31 says that God is for you. 
Isaiah chapter 40, the entire chapter, it shows us the greatness of God. I'm telling you, if, you wanna, if you're going through some stuff right now and you need a little boost of your faith, go read Isaiah chapter 40. And then all of a sudden you're like, man, God, you're big. God, there's really nothing outside. There's nothing going on in my life right now, God, that you are not in control of. There's nothing in my life that is so far that, God, you're looking at it going, ah, sorry, too big for me. No, God is awesome in power. Isaiah chapter 40 tells us that. And then Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 11, it reveals us the reality of the sovereignty of God. Because that's where God says, my ways are not your ways. And my thoughts are not your thoughts. You see, when you know these truths, from the love of God, the mercy of God, to the sovereignty of God, when you understand them, when you see what the Bible has to say about them, it anchors your faith, okay? It anchors your faith to who God is. Because I'm telling you, especially, does anybody other than me sometimes you wrestle with the sovereignty of God? But how many people have walked away from God and shook their fists at God and become angry at God because they say, forget the sovereignty of God. If that's the way God is, I want no part of God. Well, you see, that's the thing. If I understand who God is and go, God, I... I got to trust your sovereignness. And so, God, if you have allowed this death in my life, I've got to trust you through that. God, if you have allowed this cancer in my life, God, I got to trust you in that. God, if you're allowing this thing in my life, God, I got to trust that you are still sovereign and you are still good and that you do love me. You see, that's why we got to abide in the word of God. And the more I abide in the word of God, the more I know the word of God. And the more I know the word of God, the more I know what I have through the word of God. And when I know what I have through the word of God, I know what my father is like. And when you know what you're, who your heavenly father is and what he is truly like, I'm telling you, you can remain steadfast. You can persevere. You can continue in this life we call being a Christian. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's trial free. Doesn't mean you're not going to hit a storm. It doesn't mean life doesn't get hard. But what it means is I trust in the Lord with all my being. And God, I know who you are. And I'm going to let you be God in all my circumstances. And I'm going to continue to be faithful to walk with you. That is the benchmark. That is what it means to be a follower of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Let's get ready to close. Let me just pray for us. Well, Father, we thank you for who you are. Jesus, thank you for doing so much for us. We were all enslaved to sin. We all were walking in our sin. But Jesus, thank you for saving us. Thank you, that, Father, when we were dead, you made the decision to send Jesus for us. And Father, through Christ, we are saved. Through Christ, we have eternal life. Through Christ, we become a child. Through Christ, we are set free. And we thank you for that. Father, help us to be believers who abide in your word. Help us to be believers where people can look at us and they would know they're a believer, they're a Christian, that there's no mystery about it, but we're living it out. And Lord, I would pray that if there's anyone in here today who doesn't know Christ, that even after this message, it would just come up to me and just talk to me and share with me and just be able to tell me, I, need, I want Jesus as my Savior. So, Father, we thank you for this time in your word, and we just thank you for your love and mercy and grace you show us. In Jesus' name, amen.